reasons to praise him don't we church oh my gosh sorry yes I mean we can we can switch to that we didn't practice it <laughs> um you know you know Jesus um Jesus is good God is good I think sometimes we sing these these songs about the goodness of God and and, and we we sing about our testimonies which is a huge part of the Christian life, right? We we are encouraged by each other's testimonies of how has God carried you through? How have you seen God work in your life? And this, this helps one another and spurs one another on. Yet at the same time, God is good regardless of our circumstances, regardless of if we see in our life something that we call good, that we can say, all my life you've been so, so good. It, you know, it's, it might not be the good that I'm wanting, right? But he is still good because his very nature is good. I'm going to read, um, kind of skip around here in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I'm going to start in verse 1. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. 
Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age, little g God, little g God, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts and give us the light and the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Jumping down to verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. I don't know about you, but I want to live and, and I want my life to preach the gospel of, of Jesus Christ, not this little G God gospel of, of self. And the truth is that kind of gets in my way every single day. In a lot of moments of every day, I see self, self, self. Maybe that's kind of the way of holiness that he keeps showing me this is his gospel and his glory. Let's be a church that can declare whatever comes our way. God be lifted high. His name be praised. His name be glorified. I love you, Lord, for your mercy never fails me. All my days I've been held in your hands from the moment that I wake until I lay my head, oh, I will sing of the goodness of God. All my life you have been faithful. And all my life you have been so, so I will sing of the goodness of God. I love your voice. You have led me through the fire in darkest night. You are close like no other. I've known you as a father. I've known you as a friend. And I the goodness of God.
you would like to come to the altar. And Pastor Paul's going to come and pray for us and anoint a few people. Christy Anderson lost her mother recently. We're praying for Christy and her grief. And David and Nicole are going to come forward as well. David and Nicole have been on a really difficult journey to have babies. And they've lost a lot of precious souls that are in heaven. And Pastor Paul's going to pray for them. To join us and gather around David and Nicole's, as you'll hear, David and Nicole's struggling to have a child. And they just learned they miscarried two this week and lost her grandmother. And we want to gather around them and pray for them. Christy lost her mom, mom about a month ago, and, and she's just really struggling. If there's, and I'm going to anoint, and if there's someone else that wants anointed, please feel free to, to come forward. that God loves you deeply and dearly. That, that these things that you're going through are not an indication of His care and His grace and His mercy in your life. It's just life. And life sometimes is hard. I pray now, Lord, for a, a, a peace, for um, just direction for David and Nicole. This, this weekend of loss, Lord, of a grandmother and two babies, Lord, it's so painful. But Lord, we believe that you're with them, that you care for them. And one way we see this is a church gathered around this couple. So Lord, right now, be with Nicole. Lift her up in every way, Lord, spiritually, physically, emotionally. May, may your spirit just do a, a work in her life that um, is only from you. Now, Lord, we're going to give you praise because this isn't the end of the story. This is just part of the story. And Lord, in this part, there's sadness. But Lord, we believe at some other day, there'll be joy. And we're rejoicing now. We're giving you thanks already for the day that is coming. Be with them. In Jesus' name we pray. Christy, I anoint you with the oil of the Holy Spirit. Lord, right now, Christy's going through a lot of sorrow. Ruth was near and dear to her heart. Mom, she cared for her. She loved her. We, we believe that, that Ruth has been healed and she's whole with you. And we rejoice in that. But there's still sorrow here. She's missed. So, Lord, I pray for Christy that you will lift her up, that you will gather people around her, Lord. In these moments, it's easy to separate ourselves and, and, and somehow pull away from people, Lord. I, I pray, Lord, that you'll give Christy the, the strength to move towards people, to allow them to embrace her. Lord, she's loved. She's loved by her friends and her family in this church. She has a place. She has a home. She's part of the family church is family. And so, Lord, help us to love Christy like we need to love her, to embrace her in this time of loss, to give her comfort and encourage her daily. Now, Lord, we love you and we thank you for this opportunity to pray, this time to be together. I pray now, Lord, uh, that um, we'll pay close attention to your presence for the remainder of the service. You are here and you want to change lives. So, Lord, help us to be open to your move. In Jesus' name we pray.
Right. We're going to, uh, this is our next-gen moment. And so again, as I think I mentioned a couple weeks ago, this is an opportunity for us to kind of connect the generations. And so uh, first service, you guys get the joy of uh, seeing our kids and our teens together here in service with you. But this is just a way for us to kind of connect the bridges, that there's more that's happening uh, in, our, in, our, in the life of our church than just right here. And so it's a chance for us to get to see what the teenagers are doing and what the kids are doing. And so to start that this morning, here's, here's what we're going to do. We're going to play a little bit of a game, okay? So we're going to have a little bit of audience participation. I'm going to show uh, a picture on the screen and I want you to guess what it is, okay? Just, if you know what it is, just yell it out. Even if you're wrong, you can still yell it. We won't laugh at you, okay? So here we go. Let's show the first one, Dave. Somebody tell me what that is. Cantaloupe! Let's click. Nice. Who, was that you, Mara? Mara knows her melons for sure. She has got that. That's great. Good work, Mara. Okay, let's go to another one. That one's pretty easy. Yes, an adjustable wrench. Nice work, Art. Yes, great, great. Okay, here we go. The next one, I think I got a couple more. Ooh, this is tough. Not a light bulb. Anybody? Nope, nope, nope. Any final guesses? What is it? Yes, it's a pin. Look. Yes. Nice. You guys are, man, I thought I was, was going to stump you on all of these. Okay, we got one more here. Who said that? Caterpillar, yes. Man, you guys are, you guys are, okay, well, this illustration is not going to work anymore, so I'm just going to go sit down. Good job. <laughs> um, here's the deal. Some of these pictures were a little bit difficult to figure out what they were. Until we what? Until we changed our perspective, right? When we were super close, only a few of you could get those. But once we changed our perspective and kind of zoomed out, then it was extremely obvious what they were. Well, in the youth group this month, we're, we're looking through, we're working through a series called Look and See. And kind of the overarching kind of what we're doing in this series is, is asking the question, why does Jesus matter? Like, why does this relationship, why does this experience with Jesus matter? And we're, we're attempting to kind of move beyond simply for salvation, right? We, we believe that salvation matters and salvation from our sin, and that is significant, but we want to move a little bit beyond that. What is the significance of Jesus? And one of the things that we're looking at is perspective. And so uh, there's, there's a story of a guy who had a significant perspective change. In fact, it was so significant that he changed, his name was changed as a result of this this thing that happened in his life, this perspective shift that happened in his life. He was formerly Saul. You guys know about Saul. This is, now this is New Testament Saul, right? Not Old Testament Saul. Saul had a perspective where he was convinced that he was right. He was convinced that he knew the way that God operated. He was convinced that he was right about his faith, about his religion. And, and this involved being so right, being so convinced that he was right, that he actually uh, persecuted and was involved in the killing of Christians. So he saw God one way, and the way that he saw God was that, that Jesus was not the Messiah. Jesus was not who he said he was. In fact, Jesus was a threat, and the people that were following him was a threat. His perspective about Jesus and people were wrong. Even though he was so convinced that he was willing to 
kill people about it. Well, if you know the story of Saul converting to Paul, he had this encounter with, with, uh, with this light on the way to actually persecute more Christians. And he had this encounter and he was blinded. And then God sent someone, Ananias, to, in his path to kind of uh, to, to bring back his sight, but also to point out that, hey, you were wrong in all of this. Your perspective was wrong. And there was a significant conversion experience. But again, it wasn't just about saving the sins of Saul. It was about transforming his entire life. And one of the cool things is that Saul, when he became Paul, his perspective about God changed. He thought he knew who God was. He thought he understood how God worked. His perspective about Jesus changed. Jesus was someone who was a threat in leading this, who led this kind of uprising and his followers were a threat and it was so significant that he felt he needed to persecute those who followed Jesus. So his perspective about Jesus changed to someone that he could actually believe in, this Messiah that they were waiting for. But one of the really cool things is that because of this encounter with Jesus, Paul's perspective about people changed. The way he saw those who were following Jesus, his perspective changed, and it totally, dramatically changed the way that he interacted with people. And what's really cool is as you follow the story of of Paul, we know that he went on to start churches and kind of became this ultimate missionary for the church, and we see kind of Paul's progression when it comes to his interacting with people, but Paul's perspective of people changed. And so this month, I'm challenging the teenagers, and I ask this question, and I would ask you the same question, how has your perspective changed since you encountered Christ? How has your, your perspective of God changed? How has your perspective of Jesus changed? But maybe really significantly is how has your perspective on people changed? And if it hasn't, then let me encourage you to seek God, even this week, to pray, God, how would you change my perspective when it comes to your people? Is there something that I'm holding on to? Is there something that is so significant in my life and I'm so convinced in my life, but actually you see it differently? Would you this week even pray that God would reveal areas in your life where your perspective needs to change? And then what we're going to finish up with with the teenagers, and they don't know that this yet because it's we're going to talk about tonight, but here's, the, here's a spoiler alert. When you have those encounters with Jesus and when you experience perspective change, your story is significant. Your story matters because it can then help other people to have similar encounters with Jesus. So I would, I would encourage you, I would ask you as, our, as a church, has our perspective of people changed? If not, man, pray that God would help you to see those places. And if your perspective has changed, how, how can God use your story to further his kingdom but to help other people see as well, to help change perspectives, to help people encounter Jesus. That's what we're working through as, as a youth group this month. Thank you, Pastor Josh. Appreciate all that you and Mara do with our kids and our youth. Well, you sense his presence this morning? I do. And God's here. And, and uh, aren't you glad that God's here? I know that I am. Well, I'm in the midst, as I've said, of my, my training for my marathon in November. And and it's the, the runs are getting a little bit longer. Yesterday was a, a seven-mile one, which was, you know, really great. I really enjoyed it. And, uh, you know, I started to enjoy those little nagging injuries you get. You know, you start to get blisters. And 
uh, developed a little bit of tendonitis on the top of my foot that I'm having to figure out how to deal with that and you know, all those things. And, and you know, as it gets longer, you know, my focus on form is, is becoming more intentional. I'm focusing more on the form of how I'm running. No, no wasted motion, watching my stride. Uh, paying attention to the shoes. Matter of fact, maybe the way I'm lacing my shoes may matter as far as the tendonitis. Uh, I know Ryan's sitting there and he's saying, don't wear shoes when you run. He's a shoeless runner. And uh, I would be a, a hobbled pastor, I think, if I tried that, but uh, a lot of people do. My socks matter, warming up, all these things, you know, but, but, but stretching is becoming very important to me. Hydrating, making sure I'm drinking enough water, all, all this stuff matters. Form matters and, and preparing for and training for a marathon. And form matters in life. It matters in your walk with God. It matters in how you live your life. You know, it matters. And, and we, we, I used this phrase last week, you're, you're not in a sprint, you're in a marathon. Uh, I, I don't believe that we're, life is a sprint, but it's a marathon. And in this marathon, form matters. And if we're serving God, if we're trying to, as Josh says, to, to see things from a different perspective and allow God to stretch us in different ways, God will stretch you. If you've been stretched by God, say amen, right? God will stretch you if you allow him to. As a matter of fact, if you feel like this is passive and there's no challenge to this, I think you need to listen a little closer to God because God will stretch us God wants to stretch us. God wants to grow us. And so it's important that we have a form that will allow us to sustain this run to the end. Now, in the next month, we're going to begin talking about the end. We're going to be in 1 Thessalonians 5. And, and so for the month, we're going to talk about finishing strong or living towards the end. And, and it matters. It's, it, it, how we live towards the end matters. And, and when I say the end... It's possible that some of us will live to see the second coming of Jesus, right? And it's also possible that we'll live our natural life, and as we live our natural life, we'll come to death. And even as we come to death, as we live our natural life, there is a need that we have the right form so that we can finish strong. Holiness is the posture. Holiness is is the form of the kingdom. And holiness, I, I believe this, holiness will allow you to finish your race well. Holiness will allow you to move past the difficult things all of us face in life. It'll allow you to move past the difficult relationships, the, the, the financial downturns, the, 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 the physical ailments, that all of us face, our bodies aren't forever, and all of us face those things, the temptations of life. Holiness is the form, is the posture that allows us to live a victorious life in the midst of all these challenges. And so I think it's important that we define it, and, and I've defined it several times, I'm going to define it one more time. What is Holiness. What is sanctification? We, we see this word holiness is sometimes translated sanctification and sometimes sanctification is translated holiness. These words are in a lot of ways interchangeable. And, and there's two parts to this. There's our part, and our part is simply giving God our all. 
It's laying our lives on the altar and saying, God, this is yours. This relationship's yours. God, this, this event is yours. This, this circumstance is yours. It's giving our life to God. That is a part of holiness and sanctification. And the second part is God's part. God's part is this transformation that occurs when we give ourselves fully to him. Both parts are important. God will not transform you, make you holy, sanctify you, unless you are willing to give yourself to him. So both parts are essential and necessary. And we've been working through 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 through 12, and we'll read through it one more time. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus Christ to do more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. Can you say that with me? Sanctified. It's God's will that you should be holy. That you should avoid sexual immorality. That each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. And that in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore... Anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. Now about your love for one another, we do not need to write you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more, and to make it your ambition to live a quiet life. You should mind your own business. That is, when you tell people to mind your own business, you're quoting scripture, right? And work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. So we've been working through this with a couple things in mind. The first thing, it's a phrase I've been using over and over, but I believe it's true. Holiness is what God wants for you, not from you. That this isn't God demanding something from you, it's God offering something to you. And the second thing is this, we give ourselves to people and things we trust. And so trust leads to holiness. Uh, the, the first line of the, the, the song that we sang, How He Loves, always just oh, hits me. He is jealous for me. <laughs> You ever stop and think about that? that, that that's biblical. That's scriptural, by the way, that God says he's jealous for his people. God is jealous for me. God desires relationship with me. God loves me in this way that is beyond my understanding. It's like when you get further on in the song, it talks about this unforeseen kiss. And it's just ideal that all of a sudden it just hits me how much God cares for me. And holiness, God's call to holiness, is a demonstration not of his demand on my life, but his care and his love for me and you. So for the past two weeks, we've been dealing with this. And we... we Dig, dug a little bit deeper, and Josh talked about 
um, our intimate life. God wants our intimate life, our physical bodies. And then last week I talked about our relationship. God wants our relationships. He wants us to sanctify, give them to him, and, and he can do unbelievable things. He can transform our relationships if we give them to him. And our focus for today, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. You know, most of life is routine, right? But most of life is ordinary. We get up and we go to work. We go to the store. We we, we, we pay our bills, we, we, we do those ordinary things, we, we eat meals, we, all these ordinary things. Most of life is ordinary. Probably 95% of our life is sleeping and going to work and taking care of ordinary, normal tasks. God wants the ordinary routine of your life. Now, not just the big things, but God just wants it all, even the ordinary it's the genius of Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of Romans 12.1. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. <laughs> it's our ordinary life. And the truth is, God can do amazing things in our ordinary life, in our routine, if we'll allow him to. Now, I knew I was going to preach this, so, so yesterday I put this to the test. I had a pretty ordinary day, and so I thought, okay, God, I, I, I'm going to give you my ordinary life, and I'm going to pay attention to the routine, and, and I'm going to see what you can do. And I, and I got to tell you, it was amazing. So I got up in the morning, and I ran. And then I had this plastic fence that I put together and that, that could go around my trash cans. I put it, and put it in the front yard. I had this encounter with my neighbor and uh, not, not, not that outstanding. It was just conversation. And then we went and sat at the pool so I had this lovely glow. Then we went and ate and then we went and got ice cream and then I came home and sat in my chair and fell asleep. And nothing happened. I paid close attention, and nothing happened. You know, the reality is this. Most of the time, routine stays routine. Ordinary stays ordinary. And it's okay, because we have a God that is comfortable in our routine and our ordinary. God wants to be with you in those extraordinary moments. And God wants to be with you in those routine moments when you're sitting by a pool getting burnt. God wants to be with you. And the reality is this, is that our reputation, your reputation, my reputation, is built in extraordinary events as well. But primarily our reputation, how people perceive us, how we live our life, is built mainly in the routine, ordinary aspects of our life, right? Just going through life. That, that's, that's how people perceive you and see you, how you go through the ordinary. But I ask you, what are you building in the routines of your life? Are you building something that people can 
say, well, that's God at work even in their ordinary life. The truth is, though, every once in a while, it's not all the time, or routine wouldn't be routine, but every once in a while when we pay attention, God breaks into the routine, ordinary parts of our life in ways that are extraordinary. You see it throughout the biblical text. It's, it's Abraham sitting in his tent at the end of the day, and three visitors show up. It's Gideon in the wine press, throwing the wheat in the air, just an ordinary thing, and the angel shows up. It's Samuel going to bed and, and just going to sleep and God calling to him in the night. It's Matthew sitting in his tax booth and Jesus coming by. It's Peter checking his nets after a long day of fishing and Jesus shows up. You know, the stories of Jesus, there's all sorts of these events where, where it's just like, it just it looks so ordinary, but because of the presence of Jesus, it's, it's extraordinary. It, it, it's something that's been transformed by his presence, and it's, it's just ordinary thing, but it's Jesus sitting at a well in the middle of the day, and, and a lady's ordinary trip to get water for the day is transformed. I love the Last Supper scene. John includes in the scene, the other synoptic gospels don't, but John does. John, John's gospel is written many, many years after the synoptic gospels. And John includes this event where Jesus is washing their feet. You know, pretty significant. You know, churches have built traditions around washing of feet, and, and none of the other synoptics include it. And, and, and I always have wondered, why didn't Matthew, Mark, and Luke think that was important enough to talk about, but John does? And, and my perspective, I could be wrong, but my perspective is that John's sitting 40, 50 years later, and he's writing this account. And from a young person's perspective, it didn't seem like much, but he started thinking about this ordinary thing that Jesus did that he transformed into something extraordinary, and he just couldn't help but share. Because Jesus did so many of these ordinary things in extraordinary ways, they couldn't write enough books to capture all of them. So Jesus takes this ordinary thing, washing feet, and turns it into something completely Extraordinary. It's the Last Supper. I mean, how many meals? How many meals do you think you you've ate? You count them up right now. You know how many meals do we eat? How many eat three times a day? How many? How many ate for six times a day? Right? Yeah, you got to have. You, you know, we eat meal after meal, and yet Jesus takes this ordinary event and it becomes something that's just unbelievable and life-transforming. See, God can step into the routine if we pay attention. So, so how are you doing? Are there things that you're still holding on to that you need to let go of? What, what would happen if you were to give God the most intimate details of your life? What, what if you gave him your your, your your intimate life, your physical life, every aspect of your physical life. What would happen if you gave God your relationships? 
And I'm not just talking about those good relationships you have, but those bad relationships you have. You know, the, the ones we hold back from God? Now, don't look at me like I'm the only one that's ever done that. You've done that, too. God, you can have these relationships, but this grudge I'm going to hold a little bit longer because they need to be judged for what they did, right? No, okay, um, am I the only one? Yeah. Not just the good relationships, but the bad relationships. What would happen if you gave God your ordinary life? What happened at your office if you went to work, not just to make money, but you went to work because God was going to be with you? That your interactions with your kids, with your neighbors, with your wife, with your friends, what would your life look like if you gave everything to God? It's yours, God. You know, I don't believe it would be a trouble-free life. I don't believe this ideal of giving God my all. I don't believe that all of a sudden it means that the bank account's always full. It doesn't mean that you're, you're never going to be sick. It doesn't mean that you're never going to go through sorrow or loss. I appreciate this post from Dr. Van Nest yesterday, my former district superintendent. He said this in his Facebook post, having faith is not being free from battles with worry, doubt, anxiety, or depression. Faith is the desire to hold on to God even in the struggle. I thought that was so good. And, and sanctification, holiness, doesn't mean trouble-free. It means I'm going to hold on to God even tighter, even in the midst of the struggle. I've been using the phrase that, that life is like a marathon, and that's really not true. It's like training for a marathon. You know, a marathon is a one-day event, but, but it's like a training for a marathon. And, and so in the midst of my training, there's things that, you know, you know, you get the blister, you get the hamstring tightness, you get the tendonitis, and do you have to take a break? Do you have, do you have to, to, to change and run a half instead of a full? All these things that go into it. Life is like that. You're not in a marathon, you're training for a marathon. It's, it's, it's a long-term deal with ups and downs. So the question I have, are you holding on? We use the word grace to, as, as a part of both the ideal of salvation and sanctification. We talk about saving grace and sanctifying grace. And, and, and truly, until we get to the end, until you're glorified, and, and I think even in heaven, it's all going to be held together by grace. I think God's grace is, is, is everything. It's God's, it's God's purpose in life to, to give us grace and mercy. It's all about grace. And our sacraments are means of grace. We have two sacraments. There's baptism. And, and baptism is not over and over, right? We don't baptize, baptize people weekly, right? Or the same people over and over. And so baptism is related to the new birth. And, and baptism is, you're, you're coming out of the water, and in threads of baptism, you're seeing the creation story at work. That, that's one of the threads. That's, one of the, that's some of the imagery of the baptism so that we, we perform. And, and you come out of the water, and, and the, the, the imagery is God bringing order and life out of chaos. And when we're baptized, one of the things that's happening is, is we're saying, listen, God's taking me from death to life. He's taking me from chaos to life and order. It's one time. 
communion is different. I'm going to ask Josh to come and start setting this up for us. Communion is a meal. You need communion to live. In communion, the imagery from the Old Testament is not creation, but wilderness. In the wilderness, God provided for the people day to day. And so in communion, what we see is this ideal of God's daily provision for us to live in his presence, to live in his way, to live as kingdom people. You know, there's grace in the crisis. There's grace in the day-to-day. And we need them both. You know, we can give God to ourselves or give ourselves to God in a crisis. We, we can sanctify ourselves in a crisis. And I appreciate those big moments. But we live in the continuing giving of ourself to God. Are you sanctified? Are you holy? Have you given yourself to God? And I'm not asking that in this way. I'm not asking that as if, okay, five years ago, I had this experience. 15 years ago, I had this experience. 20 years ago, I had this experience. Are you sanctified today? Is, does God have your all? We'll give us some space to respond. All heads bowed. Let's bring the lights down, Ryan, before we receive communion. Lord, help us in these moments to be obedient to you, to be attentive to you. If there's things that we're holding on to, Lord, help us, um, help us to realize it and let go of them. Lord, my life is yours. Not, not just in the crisis, but in the routine as well. There's not too often in my house where we gather around the table as a family and we shut down the lights and put candle lights out like a romantic dinner. <laughs> Most times it's kind of chaotic, to be honest. But it's family. And there's something there that's different. We're on vacation. We were all eating together, all of us. And that's not as normal anymore, you know. We got a kid in Nashville married, a kid in Mount Vernon married, and Spencer stuck with us. But we sit and eat. And there's something about family. Jesus instituted a meal because he, he wants the church to understand. He wants this church to understand when we take this that we're family, that we're connected, that God sits at the head of the table and he invites us to be 
one. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this. Whenever you drink it in remembrance of me, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The body of our Lord Jesus Christ, which was broken for you, eat and be thankful. blood of Jesus, which was shed for you. Without the shedding of the blood, there cannot be forgiveness of sins. And Christ shed his own blood so that we can be forgiven and reconciled with him and each other. Drink and be grateful. Lord, we're so thankful. We're, we're so thankful not for a place, but for a people people that can surround us in our sorrow and our loss, people that can be with us in our joy and our laughter. Church is family. God sits at the head of the table and he invites us to be one. And Lord, for that to happen, for that to be true, we have to be people who are willing to submit every aspect of our life to you. Our intimate life, our relationships, our ordinary routines. So as we go from this place, may we, may we have an understanding that this is not the only sacred moment. That you invite us you invite us, you encourage us, you draw us to this place where we can see your presence even in the midst of a family meal, even in a workplace environment, even walking through the store, that you want to walk with us through the ordinary routine aspects of our life. Not only do you want to move in us, Lord, you want to move through us. The Lord, give us a greater awareness, a greater understanding. Lord, may we, um, may we truly allow your spirit, the freedom to move in our lives in a way that when people see us, they see you at work. Now, Lord, go with us as we go to our Sunday school classes, to our to our to our homes, to, to wherever we're going for the rest of this day. And Lord, may this day be blessed by your presence. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless.